So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Hey, it's the first Monday after the first weekend of the NFL regular season. So a lot of fan bases who thought that their teams were going to be great. Cleveland, uh, you know, they're uh, they're in deep crap right now because that team looked as big of a joke as they have been over the last few years. But it's one game. Uh, the three of us were more focused on that beauty uh, at the uh, – well, it's not the Meadowlands anymore. It's MetLife Stadium. MetLife Stadium. Now, have not had not ever been there, but uh, I hear it's a nice park. It is. No, the stadium is nice. It's fine. It's it's a very <laughs> bland, gray, nondescript park that they put colors in when the Jets and Giants play. Huh. There's nothing, in my opinion, redeeming. And, and Russ knows my view very this because I had season tickets at the time. Yeah. I was a very big proponent of the Hudson Yards project. I thought that would have been a much better option to have a standalone stadium. What they built is nice. It's just nothing. But there's nothing NFL, redeeming man. or different about it. Yeah, this yeah. is NFL, but it's a, it's a good game day experience. I'll give them that. But here, yeah, and, and I, it's a couple of people in the chat are mentioning, and I have to mention, uh, when half of your team, and this might not be an over-exaggeration, requests a trade after, after you lose 56 to whatever – uh, to the Baltimore Ravens, um, something's wrong, and the Miami. There's something wrong with the Miami Dolphins because that they're they're definitely. I'd be surprised if they win two games. They're yeah, tanking, it's tanking for Tua, right? Yeah, but yeah. is he is he really that good? I don't know. I, I, I had know. no idea. It's the NFL. You never know. I mean, honestly, you never know. I mean, it's, it was interesting because Mike. I mean, Russ can attest also. So I took the train there. Um, and and I, I was a little surprised, and Russ may disagree with me. I was surprised there was actually that many Bills fans there. I know Bill's Mafia travels. No, I, thought no, Jets home, I thought Jets home opener, new regime, Darnold there, Bell in, Mosley there. I really yeah. thought there'd be a lot more Jets fans. And B, I was a surprised there actually was a healthy amount of empty seats to the game also. No, no, comparison. no. Filled in. You know what? It's no, I looked work. a lot. There was there was definitely still pockets of empty seats there, Russ. It filled in a lot, though. I'm telling you, it went from about yeah, yeah. 35% full to about 90, I think. And yeah, it was... Talk, talk about what it is. I mean, talk, talk about scheduling quirks, though. <clears throat> Why does the Patriots open on Sunday night, the same night that the Yankees are playing the Red Sox at Fenway? There were empty seats at Fenway for a Yankees Red Sox game because I'll tell you why because NBC wanted to drain all the ratings that's why and they did I mean, I mean although after and after about a half who was watching that game I didn't watch any of it anyhow uh, cool. again, and then an hour after the Red Sox game you had them fire their president anyway which, <laughs> which was probably more news than the football game was all that's anyway. true I, I'm going to say one thing only about uh, about the Jet game and this has to do with attendance the you had a, a complete summer to revamp the offense you have a New GM who is supposed to fill in the gaps talent-wise. You have some good, useful players that definitely have made that team better. But at the end of the day, a lot of the same failings that we've all seen before are just reoccurring. So at the end of the day, honestly, this team, and this is what I don't think the coach understands and a lot of people don't understand. This team had one game to sort of win over this fan base because they were unsure about a lot of things that were going on in the offseason. 
and they didn't do it. I'm telling you, when these people left the building, me included, there was they were just not not only was it just like, oh no, we blew another one. This was like this was unforgivable. Same old Jets. Yeah. And, and same, the, old, same old Jets was the mantra that you heard yes. a lot and there, in the stadium yesterday. There, yeah. There's going to be a mass insurrection in New York because the Giants blow. Yeah. And I, don't think, I don't think the Jets blow, but I, I, I said this a month ago, Russ, that the concern I would have about the Jets was that they're off. They didn't boost their offensive line. And yesterday, their mm. offensive line, I think. Well, that's not what lost you, it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you, you can't say that they did. Pass, Mike, the problem was, the problem was they didn't play together all during the preseason. Khalil was added late. So right. the pro- they, they, they don't have any continuity yet, which is something that, as you know, offensive lines take a long time to build continuity. If this is the first time you played together, look, they look they didn't do much. Hey, but it wasn't. Yeah, these- I mean, Khalil didn't even play much in the second no, half. They, they had a 16 to nothing lead. You should not blow a 16 to yes. nothing lead at home Actually, regardless. Actually, it should have been 17, right? It shouldn't even it be should have been more. They they had, they had four turnovers. They should have. I got, well, one of them they turned into a touchdown, and they actually got a safety in the game. So it's kind of hard to you know take tack at the defense. But once Mosley went out, that middle of the field was horrific. No, you could take tack. Like let me let me get Peter in here because I wanted to ask what they were the awful in the fourth quarter. You what, can take what the Seahawks did, Peter, because I I didn't even follow what they oh, what they who played. Who cares what the Seahawks did? You guys, what are we in now? Like eleven minutes, and you're no, still talking about the Jets. Five minutes, and you showed up late. You, you, you have made the Jets four minutes more relevant than they should be in That's their fine. entire season. Oh, go I bet you blue bombers and keep quiet. Beat them, but okay, let your blue bombers and keep quiet. I don't even have bombers <laughs> on. That's so funny. <laughs> let's, let's let's do our over uh, overrated underrated right. fa- fairly quickly, but you know, with with some thought to it. Um, Eric Clapton is the is the artist today, and with me, there's I love Clapton. I think he's phenomenal. I think he's one of the best guitar players of all time, if not the best. But there are a couple songs that have been beaten into the ground, and I'll cho- as my overrated. I'll start first. I think Layla is so overrated, not because it's not a great song, but it's got that section at the end of it, this long, you know, okay guitar solo that just but goes on. So beautiful at the end, so I can't say it's overrated because yeah, it's, No, it's overrated. It's I mean, poetic. They, no, they, it's poetic. They, they, use, they use it in Goodfellas, and they use almost the whole thing, and it's just it's, – I'm, I'm just I'm – just, There's no joy in your heart. That proves it. Okay. Yeah, and it was because because he was in love with Patty Harrison, so he had to steal a Beatles wife, but go ahead. Uh, okay, Russ. Uh, wow. What is your overrated? Uh, I'm going to go Lay Down Sally. That is the most overrated, contrite piece of garbage song that he has ever written. Okay. Wow. I, can't, I, I don't know if I call it contrite and overrated. I, I'd agree with you, Lay Down Sally, but, but again, I, I'm not – I mean, cocaine is great, but after a while also, you, once you've heard it numerous, numerous times, you're like, okay, enough. Let's just move on already. Yeah. Peter? Uh, you know what, Jan? You took cocaine, so I'm going to go after midnight because – He's, oh, he basically, which, which one? The Michelob commercial one? Or uh, the, uh, whatever. The, the, the hit <laughs> single. It's a J.J. Kale song. J.J. Kale did it in such a wonderful way, just like cocaine. I mean, J.J. Kale benefited from Eric Clapton covering those songs for sure, but they're just overrated and overplayed. I'm totally with Jan on that. Okay. Um, I'll start with the underrated. It's a tie for me. Um a uh, song called I Can't Stand It, which was a hit in the early 80s, which I really love. And one that's not usually um, selected as a prototypical um, a Clapton song because it doesn't have a great big guitar solo. You know, It's more him playing steel guitar, and that's a song called Let It Grow, which I really, really like. It's a mellow song, and it 
reaches a crescendo at the end, but it's really, really good. And I, I like, I like it. Uh, Peter, what's your underrated? Oh, let it rain. Oh, let it rain. Fantastic song. Love it. Does get enough radio play. Yep. Great, great little intro. It's got everything. There you go. That's no, a great song. That's a great song. And there's some incredible live versions of it around if you seek them out. And the, the guitar solo at the end of it where he's just yeah. playing the same note for about 10 seconds, but it's so good. It's a yeah. you know, it's fabulous song. That's a good okay. song. Jan, go ahead. I mean, I'll take any of the older stuff, any of the Cream, Jimmy Baker, all that, all the old stuff. I mean, I don't think I can get enough for the older, older stuff. The newer Clapton to me just doesn't hold a candle to some of the older stuff. Yeah, not Tears in Heaven. Uh, Ross, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to go with Why Does Love Got to Be So Sad from Derek and the Dominoes. That's Ooh. really a great song. Yes. Wow. And it never got played enough because that band just didn't last that long. No. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the band's drummer is in jail for murdering his mother, I believe. Jim Gordon. I mean, you know, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It happens every day. Sure, it's a commonplace thing. Yeah. Uh, whole Hockey World today is Monday, September 9th. 2019. I'm Jan Levine, and Russ Cohen just jumped the shark with that comment. <laughs> I'm Peter Tessier in Overcast, Winnipeg. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. Sunny and about 80-something degrees here. 9-9-19, and I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Okay, some significant news today, so we'll start with uh, the signing of Zach Warinski because – this could have some sort of a domino effect because, and you know, it may not be far reaching because he's a defenseman and all the forwards in the RFA class, you know, Marner, Point, Ranton, and Tkachuk probably say, well, that's a defenseman. It's, it's apple, it's apples and oranges. But I do think, and I'll put everybody, ask everybody to go around the horn here. I do think that the fact that Warinsky took a three year bridge deal and he didn't, hit the grand slam home run in terms of money is going to have an effect on this market. We've heard Marner talk about a three-year bridge being nine and a half million dollars. Well, how in the hell can he expect to get that kind of money when Warinsky on a three-year bridge deal, you know, taking a year before going a year before unrestricted free agency is taking five. I, I don't think he can. I think that that undercuts a lot of the RFA, um, a leverage. Uh, Russ, what do you think of this? I think it's one of those that is a reasonable deal. The guy looked at it and said, okay, I get another kick at the can, and so does the team. So the team's happy, he's happy, and he gets into camp, and he doesn't miss any time because he wants to play hockey. I have no problem with this deal. I will never rip the player for this deal. I think it was smart by the Jackets. I don't think it's going to have the same ripple effect, though, that you might think it's going to have with other players. And I can explain that after because I've been doing a little digging. But anyhow, I'm fine with it. Uh, Peter? You know, this one's interesting. Um, the three-year bridge is an odd is an odd course of action, right? We always think of bridges, two-year deals. And this one's interesting. What... I, I haven't seen yet, and I've been a little busy this morning. Is what is the last year's salary? It's okay. The it's structured four million, four million, seven million. So, so now, so the qualifying, the qualifying offer, offer, the qualifying so this, offer, seven point seven. This is the kicker, right? Yeah. And I think, and and the you know, as much as I've said, the the, uh, 
the throne uh, of hockey insiderism and stuff is being passed from Bob McKenzie to Elliot Friedman. Bob McKenzie today came out with a great series of tweets on why the structuring of these deals is important. Yeah. And I used Mitch Marner as an example, and that's mm -hmm. why he's the Bob father, right? And this is the same thing with Renski. He's guaranteed a pay raise and a big one right, on his AAV no matter what. And it's also, it gives him some security too, but it also gives Columbus three years to get their house in order given the right. changeover. Sure. And this is kind of like one of those deals of show me. And yeah. I don't think he doesn't like being a Blue Jacket. I think he wants to see if the team can stay the course and, and build upon success. And it's going to take three years given the talent they've lost and some of the deals they made at the trade deadline to sort of bring this back around. Well, coincidentally, Jan, uh, he's making $400,000 less than Seth Jones. The deals both end the same year. Jones is a UFA. Wierenski is an arbitration-eligible RFA. So they have some control over him. You don't know what it's going to cost to re-sign Jones. And in this instance, if Jones walks, they at least have the ability to sign Wierenski to the long-term deal, probably for a lot more than Jones is making right now because he's only making $5.4 million. But – I mean, Russ, I think you're, and I, I want to get Jan's thought on this. I think your reaction to this was that he's gone, that he's gone in four years. I, it gives them an opportunity. It gives him an opportunity to walk after four years. No doubt. Yeah. I think it gives him that opportunity. I think it's a situation where he is right now hoping for the best that this team does do exactly what you guys are saying, but if we're three years down the line and they haven't sniffed like a conference final, I don't see him hanging around because he'll be a, he'll be a big commodity. He'll sign that last deal with Columbus and then he'll end up getting traded. And so this is, you know, they've got a window here and not every, not every team gets to keep every prospect. And some of the better ones do have this in their arsenal where at some point they know they could get out on the market and get to a better team and so now Columbus has to continue to be one of those better teams because they don't have the big market, the big flashy market for a guy to want to stay in. Mm -hmm. So now this is this is a big moment. Go ahead, Jim. So a couple of things. So the deal from Columbus's standpoint makes a tremendous amount of sense. I don't think I think there's no doubt Columbus, in my opinion, made out better than than Orensky did here. They get a guy for three years. They get him on a relative cost certainty. He's cheaper than Jones. He's a guy who you think is going to be a first or second pair defenseman, at a minimum second pair, probable first pair defenseman. Offensive upside that hasn't been fully tapped yet. And you also get him for one more year as a restricted free agent. To me, right. that's the kicker. Him having one more year still that he's a restricted free agent gives the edge substantively to Columbus. If he had signed a four-year deal at a slightly higher AAV, which in my opinion probably would have been better off, he could have gone right to marketplace as a UFA and made an enormous amount of money now. The $7.7 is great and wonderful, and granted, you would expect it even if he was only making $5 million, If he was going to go to Arb, he was going to probably ask for something in the $7, $8 million range. Mm -hmm. He's making less than Truba is, who's going to New York, who's on a long-term deal. So my opinion is he took less than he probably could have to stay there. He could have taken – probably should have pushed maybe for a four-year deal as opposed to a three-year deal to be go to make sure he is a UFA after the deal, not having one more year as an RFA where he's under club control. And then also, as you mentioned – the downstream impact is not on the forwards. Is what does it do to Ivan Provorov and what does it do to Charlie McAvoy in restricted yeah. free agency? How does that impact in terms of the marketplace, both for them, both for their agents, and then for the market as a whole? Because now all, all the teams will be going, well, look what Wierenski signed for. 
why am I going to sign you for a bigger deal and a longer term deal than what he's gotten? And because it's now basically set what the parameters are going to be in the market. Russ, you had something more on that? Yeah. So on the, on the pro rough side, what I was being told <laughs> by somebody um, is, and I do believe that this is true. Provorov, because he played as a number one and top pairing minutes, will not see himself the same as Zach Wierenski, but more like Seth Jones. And so they would not accept that Seth Jones, that that Zach Wierenski money. And they're not going to accept Seth Jones because that was years ago. Right. So, you know, I don't think they get him under six. I think six is probably the lowest they could get him at for a fair amount of years. But I, I do think it could be higher than that. And so, Based on that, I don't think it affects him. As far as McAvoy goes, I don't think it affects him because McAvoy, you could make the argument, was their number one by the way he was used and with the power play and everything else. So again, used more than Wierenski. So I think he's out of, I think he's also in a different league. I think Carlo, who's lesser than Wierenski, is the guy that will end up getting stuck with the bridge unless he signs a ridiculously cheap long term deal. Yeah, and what, you know, Peter, what McKenzie said, and I think it was very, you know, very smart, was that teams that are signing these players to three-year deals have to be looking at them as four-year deals. And he said Marner, he said, for example, say you offer Marner three years, 30 million, 10 million AAV. Well, the qualifying offer on that is 10% more than the than the salary. And if it's say say it's flat, say they go flat 10 million dollars for 3 for 3 years. Well that still means that you're you're it's 11 million as the qualifying offer. Yeah. And more than likely Marner instead of going to arbitration just accepts it because the next year he's an unfettered unrestricted yeah. free agent. Why wouldn't he? Yeah, exactly. And and this is part of the issue that when you get into these stalemates you have to be conscious that there is a way to weaponize the RFA factor for the players. It's really funny that some don't really think of it that way. And, and maybe weaponize isn't quite the, um, the right word, but there is a way to play it if you do it correctly. And I think the Wierenski deal, <clears throat> and maybe that's a product of situation with the club as much as it is the player, is a perfect example of finding a harmony that gives the team some advantage but knows no matter what, they're coming up large the next time or they're going to have to make a different kind of deal. Right. Like it forces something at the end of it. It's just a different way of looking at risk, right? It's placing your risk in in, in something you can control or, we, or not control, but where you sort of see it, see your best chances of having success. Are you going to have more? Do you believe in yourself to get the team in the situation where paying Zach Orensky 7.7 Mm-hmm. is not a problem and we're going to do it and we're going to have a smile on our face when we do it or are you going to be sitting there or you believe you're going to be sitting there having used up your goodwill and say we got to trade the guy because it doesn't make sense for us given the situation we're in yeah, and but- and you might lower the return on the trade right because of the salary yeah but who's taking the risk in this case my opinion is the risk is all on the player the team in itself has mitigated its risk as you said based upon the type of deal that they've signed because they do have control for one more year you have cost certainty based upon the fact that it's seven. So seven point seven million is not anywhere stretch of the imagination above and beyond what you expect he would go to arbitration anyway, and probably lower than he possibly could get in arbitration based upon where you think he could be as a defenseman. So in my opinion, the team has mitigated the, the majority of the risk 
the player is the one who's now stuck with the materiality of that risk. No, but I mean, there's still but, a risk in three and a half years. He, he leaves the team. That's the yeah, risk. Yeah, but no, you're Jen, still I getting you've raised a really good point. Years. You've raised a really good point. And I think the one question we need to maybe understand, have we ever seen a player go to arbitration and get awarded less than their current, than their expiring salary? I can't recall if that's no, I can't recall that. No, I can't recall either. So, Jen, you've made you've made a really good point. Where there's team there there's team select there's team selected arbitration. Yeah, that is possible, but I don't think. Yeah, I, but you could walk away. So they come out of this. Morensky's pooped the bed. So say he's not delivering anywhere near what he's come off of the prior prior seasons. Now the team says, okay, we're going to arbitration, and they take and, and the arbiter says, yeah, you're actually only worth four and a half. And that's what they come to. Has that ever happened? Because if it is, uh, now the, it'd be interesting. But the other side is, is what? Well, then the team. So if the team takes an arbitration, Wierenski can go and say, I, "I'll take one or two years." Right? He has the option. Yes, right. So he takes one he year and he's year. gone, or he takes two years and he's, he's gone. He's going to take a year. Well, it's like a year, year, and he's gone. So right. the team's the risk is still there for the team. But Wierenski's going to get paid. It's, it, it, but it, I think it brings the sides closer together to negotiate at the end of this than perhaps not. I don't know. It, it's it's different, and and I like seeing it because it's going to give us some food to think, some food for thought in the next little while. Yeah, and Funky Cold uh, Zadina brings up the name of Jake Gardner, and it happened after our show on Friday, so we had to get have to get into that um, because Gardner finally gets a contract. Well, hold on, before the Gardner, it'll be one second. I was just looking it up because it came to mind. I think it may have happened. It didn't happen. Clark McCarthy, I think, was. No, no, no. But I'm saying it may have happened if he would have filed. But Ryan Murray didn't file. But I think if he did file, that would have happened to him. And I think that's why he signed for so little with Columbus at the time. It was like $2.85 million because right. he had injuries and other problems. So I think he's a good case study. Now, uh, Gardner, as I was saying, uh, signed a four-year extension with Carolina um, for the exact same salary uh, that he signed a five-year deal with the Leafs in 2014. That has to be considered a pay cut because, um, you know, the cap is bigger. Um, we know that the back injury raised some questions. Apparently, there were offers out there shorter term, but for lar for larger AAV, and he decided to take the security of a long term deal. But Russ, this didn't turn out well, and I know that the the back injury has been used as the excuse, as the main excuse of why he didn't get the big money that people uh, thought he was going to get. My contention is is that people realized the type of defenseman that Jake Gardner is. I I think he's a talented player. I mean, I always get accused of hating him. But no, he's a flawed defenseman. He's not good in his own zone. People know that. And, and I know that one of the, and one of the things that was brought up and I, I think it was uh, Funky that brought it up. He was you know chortling I guess that Cody CC is making more than than Jake Gardner is on uh, you know on his uh, this year on the deal. Well, Cody, first of all, Cody CC is an unrestricted free agent after, after this year, and the Leafs had to take back salary to get Ottawa to take five years of Nikita Zaitsev. So that was the poison pill. And honestly, I think Cody CC is a better defensive defenseman than 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 Jake Gardner. Yeah, I mean, you can make the argument Gardner is you know decent at puck retrieval, but you can make that argument. I don't think CC is a rock solid. 
defenseman either. No, no. But, but it's fine. I mean, I was looking at the deal. I mean, Gardner definitely lost on this deal. Now, he did gain, you know, years. So that does help him probably in case he does have a back issue. He's gotten a four-year deal. Like, that's that may be a, a great thing for him if he misses games in his first couple of seasons because his, his back is hurting him. The the part that's good for Carolina is this deal has no lockout protection, nothing. No. And and that's where Gardner really lost. It's flat. It's a, yeah. flat, a flat deal. You know, like I said, he apparently was had accepted um, – he had accepted a – or there were one or two-year offers. Yeah. But, but – uh, That's you know, where he loses on this deal, right? Because yeah. in the past, with the Leafs, he would have been a guy that would have gotten lockout protection years ago. Now – He's not even a guy that can get lockout protection in the league. So it does sort of show where he, where he's fallen. Now, everybody wants to say this is amazing for Carolina and look at their defense and look at everything. They do have a problem now with Justin Falk. Like, that's definite. But that's fine. They'll probably work that out. Well, they still have a goaltending issue. That's their issue. Well, coincidentally, and I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Elliot Friedman reported about two hours ago uh, that there is significant – chatter regarding a Justin Falk trade to the Anaheim Ducks. Now, I think we mentioned when we did our review of the Ducks that that well, that deep well of reserve on their blue line is gone. They right. they, they traded Botnan to get uh, um, the center from New Jersey. Um, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, oh Adam Henrique. Adam Henrique, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, they traded Brandon Montour to Buffalo. Yeah, Brendan Gooley. That was a cost cover cu uh, cutting maneuver because Gooley's still on his entry level. And even Freddie Carlson, right to to Pittsburgh, who is a pretty good defender. Yes, and then and they traded Shea Theodore to to Vegas. Yeah. So that was it. They did. They depleted it. Yeah. So now now you have now you have Hampus Lindholm, Fowler, and Manson, and Jakob Larson still prospect. So they need they need somebody on the right side, and it would make sense. But apparently, Falk has a no trade. Uh, partial no trade. Anaheim is one of the teams on the partial no trade, um, so they would have to, you know, get him to waive that. Plus, Anaheim wants to extend him, and he's a UFA at the end of this year. So, I, I don't know if this is going to come to fruition, Peter. But I mean, Anaheim isn't exactly a team that's a contender right now. So, if you're Justin Falk and you're on a team that got to the conference final last year, and they added Gardner, who's going to be on their bottom pairing. I don't know if you're going to accept it. I mean, if you can block the trade, yeah. maybe he just says, I'm going to play it out here and screw you, uh, Don Waddell. Uh, yeah, and screw you, Tom Dundon. Yeah, there you go. It, right? It's it's a double-edged sword there. I think I think uh, that this is a real possibility that Falk does that, and I think Elliot Friedman tweeted something out and hinted that Anaheim was on his no-trade list. Yes. I, mean, I just don't understand um, why – if you choose Falk and Anaheim's your trading partner and you know, he's got this list, why are you going to try and force that? Is it just to say, well, you know what? We don't want you here anyways. And what is like, how does that work to other players? Right. Well, like, it's, it's, mess. it's probably the return Peter. Cause I mean, it, you well, know, I, I understand that, but 
you're going to force a guy out to get a better return who has a contract and you already don't want to pay a GM and you've got a lot of stench around you and the way you operate that way from a financial point of view, this probably isn't the right path to choose. I don't think they care, Peter. And I think you're right, Russ. I don't Even think the, they care. the banking business. The banking business yeah. isn't known for their niceness. No, it is not. <laughs> That's the best way I can say it. Yeah, I mean, Thomas Dundon is the definition of being Machiavellian. So, I mean, I I don't well, think... He's a bad guy. I'm just saying he's no. a hardcore businessman. Business yeah, exactly. Yeah. But in this instance, they negotiated with Falk over the summer. They couldn't come to an agreement. They decided to sign Gardner. Now they trade Falk and get whatever they can for him, and they have replaced him with Gardner with cost certainty for three more years after this year. The downside is that right now teams know that they have too many defensemen, and that might affect the return that they get. Now I was trying to just put two and two together because I think if Carolina is trading Falk to Anaheim, it's probably one of these deals where they get a draft pick and a prospect. And if it's like that, then I think, you know, something like it's not going to be Sam Steele, but it could be somebody oh. like Max Jones or Troy Terry yeah. or somebody like that in a second round pick. I don't think it would be Terry, but Jones might be a possibility. Yeah. So, I mean, if the deal comes off, I think it'll probably be something like that. But, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Here's what the deal does do, though. Mm -hmm. It pushes back Jake Bean, who by all accounts is ready. Even though he's 21 – He'll, he'll probably have to start the year now in Charlotte. I mean, he had 44 points in 70 games in Charlotte, 13 goals. Like looked, that's, that's a tremendous year for a rookie defenseman. It shows you where he's at. He looked great. He looked great in the Calder Cup playoffs. He does. and But the problem is you don't want to put Jake Bean in on the third pairing or have him be your seventh defenseman. You can't do that to him. Right. So I see him going back to Charlotte. And when Falk gets moved, then maybe they'll they'll make some adjustments and he'll get in there. But they are sort of pushing back his development a little bit too. Right now, I'm I, I'm not going to mention the name of the person who uh, who uh, mentioned a rumor regarding um, uh, Patrick Line um, because he's known to be inaccurate. And then there was another one that I don't know if you know who the person was. So uh, I can't, I can't, uh, establish the validity of the, of the rumor, but there has been a, a uptick in Patrick line, a trade rumors, Peter, over the last 72 hours. And I, I don't know what it's based on other than the fact we're, that we're three days away from the opening of training camp and people are looking to take advantage of the chatter. But what do you, what do you think? What do you, what do you hear? Uh, well, the, the tweet in question, the person who said it has been known to be in the ballpark a few times, but when they're not, they delete the other tweets, but they're wrong. So good strategy. Mm. Um, there's another rather well-known entity who's tweeted out a couple things too. Um, more of a, a gambler, all sports kind of person, but he's also contributed to the, uh, the smoke that is arising around uh, Patrick Line. The, the rub here is that there's a Nick Ehlers quote, and I don't have it handy. Mm. And he, in the NHL media thing, I think they were doing stuff up in Chicago. Ehlers was asked about some stuff and, you know, talked to Pat, Patrick, and sort of, you know, said, you know, talking to Patty and, you know, I want him here and everything, but it sounds like something else is going on. 
Like that's the gist of it. I, I wish I had it handy to read because it, it's kind of interesting. That there says there's probably something happening, but what that something is is sort of it's really ambiguous right now. It's 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 an unknown. Any way you, I'm I'm a going to write a blog on this, but I I'll I'll tip the point I want to make about this right now is there's one extreme long-term coaching example in the NHL in the last two, let's say two, Barry Trotz and Mike Babcock. And Babcock was only what, 2006 when he went to Detroit? It was after the lockout. Yeah. After the lockout. And then he came to the Leafs eight years later, eight years, nine years, nine years. years. And then we have Barry Trotz. That's it. There isn't a whole lot of loyalty to coaches. And yes, they make a lot of money, but they're easily terminated. And maybe maybe Joel Quenville falls into that camp too. So three, how often do you see a talent like Patrick Line come by? So if the issues that have been alleged and are bantered about are that there is a disagreement and approach with how Patrick Line is going to be used with the Winnipeg Jets based on line mates and stuff like that. Are you willing to gamble that Paul Maurice is the stable coach who's going to be there for 10 years? Or do you would you rather have Patrick Line for 10 years and work to get the most out of him? I wish way I'm Line, but the problem is you're too far down the road for that to change Maurice out this quickly. They can't do it right now. But you can change Maurice, and if he doesn't change, you can let him go. No, you can, but you can't do it quickly enough with Line A holding yeah, out. But- but Paul, but the the arguments here, Russ, are that Paul Maurice should understand that he has to change because all the metrics show that something wasn't working, mm-hmm. and that lays at his feet. Yeah, Not, no one else's. But right? you you also don't want a player like Line a who's twenty two years old. You know, even the perception that he's holding the the organization's feet to their feet to the fire and gets them to fire Paul Maurice. I'm not saying they should fire fire Paul Maurice. Right. I'm saying you're choosing the coach over the player if what's said is if what's out there is accurate that's indisputable right because based on what we know now would you not want the coach to maybe make some adjustments and understand what this is because if you're if you're going to take a whole bunch of youth and just say it's blake wheeler and paul maurice's way get in line well it's going to be timu Solani part two all over again if you do that because you know what and 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 i i what i fear about this is that the punchline becomes again roses are large violets are are small the trade was one for one larson for hall and now you just make a rhyme for line a right <laughs> that's that's the fear well, here. you really can't make a rhyme for line a that's the the good news heine kiss oh. my heine <laughs> Because that's what everyone's going to be saying to Kevin Cheveldayoff when season ticket renewals come around next year. That sounds like the that sounds like the poet that I used to read in the bathrooms in college. Yeah, they 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 they've gone great lengths to silence my pen, but the shit house scribbler has struck out at the Rathskeller bathroom. <laughs> Here I sat brokenhearted, paid my dime, and only farted. Like I mean, there's all sorts of them, right? Like now, the poor guy who wrote that—that's that, been plagiarized a million times. Yeah. That guy probably never made a dime. I'm just trying to remember the last time anyone saw a pay thing on a toilet. 
like <laughs> that's like out of happy days. Maybe it was Tom, maybe it was Tom Laidlaw. Right? Yeah. I think I think I will talk about that. I think airports are the last bastion for that. Once they gave up, all right. So let's talk about Tom Laidlaw, friend of the show, because we've had him on this show, yes, and now have. he is going to be in season thirty-nine of Survivor. Now 39, 39, whatever, man. Like we got to get past that. I haven't watched it in a long time. I have to watch it a little bit for Tom Laidlaw because I've interviewed him a bunch of times. Like I said, we've done this show. My book, 100 Ranger Greats got mentioned in the article on the athletic because we ranked Tom Laidlaw 87th in a very cold hearted way. I said to Adam Rader, the co the co um, author, we both authored it and John Halligan who passed away. We all authored it. Um, I said to him, well, if, if, if basically if he were to win this, if he were to win, Laidlaw were to win Survivor, would he move up on the list from 87? And he wrote, probably not. <laughs> and I tagged Tom Laidlaw, but he's a good sport, but he's in great shape. Like the one thing about Tom Laidlaw on Facebook is he gets up at four in the morning all the time and he works out every day. And this guy is in rock solid shape. I interviewed him after an alumni game in Philly for the 100 Ranger, 100 book that's basically 100 Things Ranger Fans Should Know or Do Before They Die. We, we did that book after 100 Ranger Greats, and I had, did a long interview with him for that, and he was in great shape for that game too. Russ, I know that he gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning because I follow him and he follows me on Instagram, and at 5 o'clock in the morning, his video is up every single morning. So clockwork, man. He is Holy moly. It's so true. He is dedicated. He And, and look, he was a heck of a player. Yes. But now this is different territory, man. He is the older guy. He is going to have to be wily, which I think he is. <clears throat> He's definitely a smart guy. Um, we got to have Kevin Allen on because that's one of his best friends in the world. Yes. So we'll have to see what Kevin Allen thinks about all this. He's probably tickled pink. So this is going to be fun. I'm actually, I'm actually going to watch for for him. The only thing, the only thing closer to this, there is a lawyer who works in um, in my wife's business. And he was on once. So we did watch for as long as he was in it. He got uh, eliminated like second or third week. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if I can break my moratorium on reality TV, but I might have to just to see. Just to see. Yeah. All right, a couple other items here. Uh, one, and this this popped up this morning, and it hasn't been confirmed by the, the KHL team in question, but a couple Russian reports indicated that Pavel Zaka, who's an RFA with the Devils, uh, is signing with Avangard Omsk in the KHL. Now, like I said, they, they Avangard has not uh, confirmed it, but it would make sense in the sense that, and I was at the the, the rookie uh, scrimmage, the uh, prospects challenge down at the Harbor Center in Buffalo watching the Devils and Boy, Jack Hughes is—you can really—he can really move. He's unbelievable. But with anybody going to question Jack Hughes? Are we finally going to stop hearing before the season starts? Well, there might be an adjustment. No, 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 no. Well, I, I you know, always an adjustment, but like the guy knows where to go on the ice. Period. It was, it was funny because one of the an observer, not a, not a fan, but an observer of the game said, "Boy, does Jack does Jack Hughes stop moving? Like like it was almost." No. Like, it was almost like a bad thing. I was like, no, I mean, he's a great skater. But now you have Heashear and Hughes. And probably if they play Heashear up the middle, so then you have Heashear, Hughes, or Hughes, Heashear, and uh, tra tra Travis Ajak. Right. So, you know, Zaka probably sees him being moved to the wing, which probably he doesn't want to do. Uh, Omsk is coached by Bob Hartley, former Stanley Cup winning head coach. 
Um, he has done pretty good, a pretty good job there with other players. Ilya Mikhaev, the Leafs uh, kid that they just signed out of Russia, he developed well under Hartley there. So maybe it's a situation, Russ, where they see they you know they see maybe it's better for him to go over there than to, or maybe his determination determination is that it's better for me to go over there and develop there than to be moved to a position I don't like uh, with the with the Devils. Yeah, I think there's two things at play here. Let him go there and develop under Hartley. Never going to hurt. That organization there is a very solid team in the KHL. So that's one thing. You know the coach is solid. That's another thing. And then he'll outlive John Hines. That's the third thing. Mm. So he could come back. Because, look, I mean, sometimes that happens with a player. Like a coach just is never going to love what you do. Because you pointed out to me, hey, he had 13 goals. It wasn't a bad year last year. Yeah. But – you know what? This is a way to have him develop and still play the pro game, and then he could always come back because they have his rights. So I think it's a good move for him. I think on the team aspect of it, I think the Devils are going to miss out on that player because, as you aptly pointed out to me off offline, you have now kept Travis Ajak at worst, yeah, at worst the second line center, but at best the third line center if they use use at center. If they don't. Travis Ajak at second line center. That's getting a little long in the tooth in this league. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Peter, what do you think? No, I, I, I agree with exactly what Russ said. That's yeah. If, if that's, if that's where you're going to have to go, then yeah, not helping you. Yeah. So uh, Mark in the chat says, how about Zaka for Jesse Pugliarvi, who apparently is lighting it up in the Finnish league, but champions league, not in the Finnish yeah. league, but right. in the champions league, champions league. Like anybody who's putting out these goals, like see, 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 this is champions league is nothing close to the SHL. It's really not. Yeah. Um, you no, know, he, he exactly. If you're, if you're thinking Yuliovi is going to, um, no, not Yuliovi. It's um, Pugliarvi. Yeah. PRV uh, is going to magically turn a switch just because he's gone and, and is playing in Europe. You better do your diligence of context to where he's playing. Yes, the kid needs ice time. He needs a lot of things. No question. He needs to is what he needs. To yeah, do. it's not a switch that just magically flips. There's still things to observe, measure, and watch. And, and Russ is bang on with that. And so, yeah, you want to trade him for that? You can do it, but you'd be selling, you'd be selling, you'd be buying low. Now I, um, I was able to watch the Sabres uh, rookies. Um, I saw Dylan Cousins today. He was pretty impressive in a, you know, sort of two period window. I didn't get a chance to stay for the whole game. Um, the Sabres are an interesting team this year. They've made, and we're doing a little bit of a, a brief preview on, on the Sabres. The, the, and I've, I've analyzed this team a lot because I've been doing some stuff on Buffalo radio. And the thing that I always come back to, they, they've made a lot of changes. <clears throat> they bring in VC for a draft pick. They, uh, they swap Alex Nylander for Henry Yokoharyu. Um, they uh, add Marcus Johansson. They trade for Colin Miller. But they didn't change the team from last year, Neander was on Rochester. They, other than letting Jason, they haven't re-signed Jason Pominville. Other, th other than re, uh, not re-signing Pominville, it's the same team that collapsed in the last three and a half months of the regular season. It's the same goaltending of Linus Olmark and Carter Hutton. Now their defense is better because they've added Miller. Um, 
they'll get Bogosian back for five seconds until he gets hurt again. Um, mm -hmm. They haven't they haven't traded Ristolainen yet, but if if the market starts to loosen up after the Gardner signing, that's a distinct possibility. Um, I, I you know Casey the upgrade of Casey Middlestat from being you know barely 20 years old to 21 and getting in better shape. Uh, you know, the, the benefit of that, it, we'll see that, but Russ, I look at this team and I think they're better. I think they're deeper, but I don't think they're good. I mean, they definitely have an issue in net. We still have to see consistent goaltending there. Yeah. That's a big deal. We do have to see a better defensive unit. Now, <clears throat> You did point out that they may have improved in that area. Well, let's wait and see if they have, because if they haven't, between that and the goaltending, that could really turn off a lot of games where even the offense is great, but you can't overcome it. Yeah, a full year, a full year of Brandon Montour probably playing with with Rasmus Dahlin will help. Will help. Yeah. And 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 I think you know Middlestat will have a better year, and I think there's. There's reason to believe their offense is a lot better. And I do think there's a reason to believe their top, you know, their top four is a lot better. But I still got to see him in net. I still have to see a few other things. Uh, Olofsson, I understand, looks great. Like, yeah. we're, we're pretty sure he was going to make the team anyhow. He's making the team. Right. So that's great. But how good are their third and fourth lines really when they start matching up against some of the better teams? That's still a little bit of an iffy thing until it's proven otherwise. And Peter, they are so heavily, heavily, heavily reliant on Ralph Kruger coming in and being this sage master that can reach and find this, you know, this missing thing that with all these players that he can communicate with them and then he can draw the most out of them. I mean, you know, if he can do that with everybody, if he can lay, you know, if he can lay hands on them and heal all their ills, you know, then he's coach of the year, as somebody just said in the chat. But I mean, I think he's a good coach. He's got a great reputation, but it's so many players. It's not just Ristolainen. It's Opozo. It's Gergensen's. It's Johan Larson. It's, you know, it's so many of them. Right. So then to that point, Mike, are we saying players ebb and flow as the team ebbs and flows, or are we saying changing the players will change the team? I think the talent, the task there is really it's something Buffalo's tried to do for a while and maybe hasn't brought in the right coaches and people, but is you need sort of a hard reset from how you've been doing everything into doing things a new way and looking at problems with a, with a different eye. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Ralph Kruger comes in and makes this incredible impact where all of a sudden the Buffalo Sabres are, you know, 14, two and three out of the gates or something. But I think what he's going to do is start putting things in place to allow for performance improvements. And he's going to find a way to give players support and just as much away from the ice as they need it on the ice and, and during games so that they can be a better unit. When you have, like, it's not like Buffalo doesn't have talented players. They just have a mess with them all. Mm -hmm. So you have to sort of untangle everything, right, and figure out what am I, what do I really have here? And then you can start putting the things in place to allow for growth. And, and, and that's probably what why they chose a person like Kruger because he can see those things. Did he see him in Edmonton? No, but he's got a track record of being able to do that. One guy who speaks 
incredibly highly of Kruger is Paul Maurice when he was an assistant coach on the, on the World Cup team with him. He came back raving about what he learned from Kruger and the way he looks at things. And yes, for no fault of Kruger's, there are a lot of expe expe expectations to fix this quickly right. and to have things happen. But I think Buffalo fans have to be patient on this because it's not going to be a quick fix and how the fixes happen are probably going to be incremental and, and, and part of a bigger picture of fixing things. It won't be dynamic tactical changes on the ice right away. Those will come though. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, there's no past the goaltending. I mean, they got to get better goaltending out yeah. of Omark and, and Hutton. Uh, Russ, I, I think you'd agree that they're really in a holding pattern until Ukapekalukanen is ready for the NHL, and that could be two years. So it's like you're not well, you're not surgery. It probably is at least two years. Yeah, and then that's the thing. If it's two years, I don't think Jason Botterill has two years in the sense that, like, if I'm of the belief that if they take a step back this year with all the additions that they've made, then it's a it was a miscalculation of the general manager to bring back most of the players that were on this team last year. He was trying. He was basically saying, "I'll get the coach, and the coach will will coach them up." And if they go backwards, then I think I think it's going to be a short. I think both Kruger and Botterill will be gone because Bot. I think Botterill his job was on the line if he had extended Housley. They fired Housley. I think he gained more time. And yeah, I don't know if it's that tenuous. You have a better feeling, so I will take your word for it. It's but the it's the Pagulas. The Pagulas yeah. have, have a short span. Yeah, no, I get that. I get that. I mean, it is possible. Look, it's. I, I think there's a chance that you're right. I do. And I think there's a chance that it sort of depends on the circumstances. But I can't just blanketly put the Sabres in the playoffs just yet. I no, can't. no. I mean, ideal. I think best case scenario, they're an 88 to 90 point team. Right. And they miss the playoffs by seven or eight points. Right. Worst case scenario, they're worse than last year and they finish in the 70s. And if that happens, I think Botterill is gone, and they start a start start from scratch. Which is you know, what's the what's the team putting the Leafs aside? What's the team that if they look better than the Sabers this year, then Pagula says, "Look, these guys are even looking better than us now. What the hell's going on?" Detroit. Okay. If Detroit is better, and they're still in the the I, in talking to somebody at the at the at the scrimmage, there's still the chatter out there of a. Anthony Mantha Ristolainen deal because yeah. because Detroit is so bad defensively, yeah, and, and uh, the Sabers would want at least a top six uh, forward for Mantha for for Ristolainen and Mantha makes sense because he's a big body. He's yeah. he scored thirty goals. There is some question in, in Detroit apparently about his work ethic still, but he's a big player and he's a talented player. When he is motivated, he's really good. So yeah, I. I I don't know about the work ethic thing. I mean, he, he's putting up some good seasons. That's all I know. Yeah. All right. Let's go some questions here to finish up right. the show. Uh, stuttering guitarist. I wonder if his name is John. Uh, does anyone think Mort Sider could make Detroit? Russ raises his hand. Mr. Cohen in the corner there. <laughs> yep. I believe he can. I believe he will. I believe he'll have a really good season. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh Funky Cold Zadina, how do you Ross, how do you think Max Comtois will do for the Ducks this year? He's an interesting one because he's one of those big guys that has speed and finesse, but could also play the power role, power forward role. 
but he has to be able to put it all together. And sometimes he it can be a little bit of a lube job when you know on the physical side. Now, could so, could could that be the type of guy that Carolina would want in a Falk deal? Because he would replace a guy like Furland, who they lost. Yeah, it is very possible. So, but again, I forget what I forget what Comtois ended up with last year. It wasn't much. No, not yeah, you can look it up, but I don't think it was much. Yeah, I don't think it was more than eight goals. Um, look, he's a guy that if everything goes right, could probably score 15 to 20 in this league, but I don't know if he's ready yet. That's the honest opinion. Okay, Comtois in 10 games. In 10 games, he had seven points, two goals, five assists. That's not bad. Okay, I, I thought he played more than 10 games. So, no, that's good. And he had nine points in 12 playoff games for San Diego after – scoring 48 points for Drummondville in the queue. So he's, yeah. you know, he's at least in the AHL this year. But Definitely in the A, and he's sort of like that guy that if he were to gangbuster it out of camp, they would have to give him an extended look, but I just don't think he's ready yet. Uh, Bartikus asks, uh, let's see, where is it? What team impressed you guys most in the rookie exhibitions? Okay. I mean, I didn't see all of them. I, I watched a little bit of a few. Right, and the thing is, Whoever's playing in the rookie exhibitions, 95% of them are not going to be – may not even be in training camp. There may be well, – I mean, after Hughes had that one great game, they didn't even play him the next game. So he's not even playing every game. I mean, of the ones I saw in person, I mean, I was impressed by Boston. But Boston's got a lot of guys who might be in the mix for the Bruins this year. Stadnika. Yeah. Uh, Anders Bjork. Um, Vakaninen. I mean, they're, they're, these are first-round picks. These are guys who played in the AHL. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that those guys impressed I mean, me. the Rangers are rolling a line of Kratzoff. Kako's finally playing because he was sick for a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, and Henriksen today. That's a heck of a line. But, you know, again, there's so many moving parts when, when you're talking about these rookie tournaments. And you, you really can't look at it as a team. It really – I can only look at it as an individual basis, to be honest. And some of those guys we mentioned were great. You know, right. again for the Rangers needs adjustment time. Right. That that happens, you know, with a lot of goalies that come over from Europe. That's normal. Peter, is anybody standing out for Winnipeg? Have you been tracking it? Or no, I haven't. Um, Gustafson, for sure, is the one that's garnered the most talk. Um, there, he's he's looked the best. He's the one who I think many people had. Um, the biggest hope for coming into this. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to watch much. I've sort of been kind of listening through other people who I trust and in yeah. respect to what their thoughts are, but it's definitely Gustafson and this is standout. Yeah, I have to thank Fox Sports Go for putting the, yeah. the games from Traverse City on the on their on their website because I otherwise I wouldn't be I wouldn't be able to watch it. Uh Nick Robertson, the Leafs second round pick from this year, has got three goals in two games. He's really fast, really skilled, but he's a couple years away. He's got to build oh, up quickly. Yeah. Um I think the interesting thing, Russ, is this Merkley situation with San Jose yeah. where, where he, he apparently – the Peterborough Peets have let him know they don't want him back. And that's – I mean, this, this you know, we we heard the questions about him at the draft yeah. in, in Chicago in, – in Chicago oh, – in Dallas, excuse me. Yeah. And, you know, you would think that he would try to get away from that reputation – but it just seems to follow him. And when it follows somebody, then you have to start asking questions. Yeah, so I hear a lot of stuff, and I don't always talk about it, report on it, especially with prospects, right, because they're young and immature. And, again, an 18-year-old Russ Cohen definitely had, you know, maturity issues too. So 
Merkley, I wanted to give the benefit of the doubt to, and I still will end up giving him the benefit of the doubt, but he can be an abrasive guy to coaches. And this is now telling me now that this is probably going to start to either be an issue or they're going to have to break him of it. Do we even know where he's going to play this year? Is he going to go straight? I mean, I no, I mean, right, right now, apparently he's, you know, he's in training camp or in uh, yeah. the camp with San Jose. I read a report that he's living with Brent Burns right now. So Brent Burns is probably giving a crash course on how to handle a snake. Right. Um, you know, but, uh, but, you know, and I think they want to, what they want to do is they want to give, give him a sort of a, an adult, uh, to model himself after somebody, you know, I mean, Brent Burns is a little out there, but he's, he's a good working player. He's, uh, he's a good dude. He is a good dude. And maybe he can take him under his wing and help him out. And I mean, I don't know if that means they're going to, you know, they can't play him in the AHL. They can't. And so they either have to get him with another team in one of the junior hockey leagues, or he's going to have to go to the KHL or he's going to have to go SHL or SHL or somewhere else like that. I mean, or it makes no, it makes no sense. I mean, I don't think he'll go to college. It makes no sense for him to go to. No, he's not going to college. I, well, I, I think they signed, I think they signed him to a pro deal. I think he's already under contract. He right. may, may not be, but yeah. And they can't, he, he's too young for the AHL. Maybe the USHL. I mean, I, I don't know. No, cause he would dominate in the USHL offensively. He still would dominate. You, you would have to send him to a men's league somewhere else and I, my guess is whoever the sharks um hang on I'll, I'll tell you the team i can tell you right now hold on okay well, while, while you're doing that i'll answer this question uh because it's leaf related who's more likely to make the leafs out of camp liljegren or sandin um i think liljegren he's a year older um sandin i think has a, a greater upside um you know he's much more effective offensive player. He he was he led the team in this in in points uh, by a defenseman in the in the playoffs last year. He's really creative, good on the power play. Liljegren, his defensive game is matured. He, he played against top lines or top two lines most of last year. So he played not a shutdown role, but he played a, a tougher minutes than he did in his first year. He's a right hand shot, so he's I I did sort of a. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did sort of a depth chart because of one of the questions in a Q&A yesterday, and I had Lily Grin uh, and Jordan Schmaltz fighting uh, for the bottom pairing job um, on the right side because you know, Schmaltz has got more experience. Yeah. But I think they like Lily Grin, and I think they, if they think he's ready, that uh, Schmaltz will end up being like the seventh defenseman. So Yeah, Nicholas Sundstrom, uh, you know, former Ranger, former Shark, is like a developmental coach now for the Sharks with Worcester, but – he played for Moto for a lot of years. So my guess is they would probably send him there so Sundstrom could sort of keep an eye on him from afar, you know? It would be something like that. Yeah, but if – let's just say this. If, if not something like that, if, he had to, if they had to find themselves an Ontario Hockey League team, you know, it could be someone like London who has a strong coach like Dale Hunter. Yeah. Um, but it's going to have to be somebody who will keep him in line because apparently – he just can't be kept in line, and I, you know, and I know there's another player, Leaf draft pick, who requested to trade from Peterborough. So maybe there's a problem there, but it's just, you know, it, it's it's Merkley. I mean, I expect something like this to pop up, but I don't want to. I don't want to prejudice be prejudiced against the guy. He's got a lot of talent, and you know, I think he can be a good pro. But that that sort of specter is sort of hanging over him. So well, I can give you, I give you a quote um, from Tim Burke. We've got a 
get him to respect the opposition a little more. Sometimes things can look casual. Sometimes, sometimes things can look, things can look casual, and sometimes, like you don't respect the opposition. But he's learning. You look like you don't. Yeah. So sometimes you look like you don't respect the opposition, and he's learning. So and 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 trust me, Burke is a straight shooter. So if he's telling you that, then that means Merkley did some things that the other coach, you know, his coach didn't like. Last thing quickly, do we do you see? Let's, let's do an over-under of two uh, regarding RFA player unsigned RFAs. Over-under of two, whether two more will sign before the opening of training camp on Friday. Over or under, Russ? Uh, under. So you think one or zero? Yeah, I think one will. Okay, Peter? Under. I think I think I'm going to make my bold prediction here and tell you the one will be Brandon Carlo. Okay, That's yeah, I, I think we're all going under or at optimistically a push on two. But but if you think about it logically, Carlo's not waiting out McAvoy. Like McAvoy has no bearing with Carlo. Well, Rensky already signed his, so Carlo can never hope to make even what Rensky's making, even though he plays top minutes. So. Carlos now could look at the Warensky deal and say, all right, you know what? We could either do this or that. And I think he's an easier sign than McAvoy. And I think once he signs, then the club can really look at McAvoy because Carlos not getting top money. We, we, we know that. Now, and we'll talk about this tomorrow, but Pierre Lebrun wrote something interesting in the athletic today about how the, how the Gardner contract may affect some of the other contracts of defensemen coming up in free agency for next year. Not Peter Angelo. He'll get money, he'll get the big money. But guys like Tory Krug, guys like Yossi. Yossi will probably get the big money too. But that secondary market that is, is going to UF, UFA next year, when you give a Gardner only getting basically getting a wash in terms of the, the new deal, how that's going to affect the market. So that, that, that'll be interesting, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. Okay. Uh, for Jan Levine, for Peter Tessier, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hot.